Welcome back to the Bullish Baseball Podcast, where we have the greatest interviews. For today, we've got an excellent guest for you today. We have Steve Balance from Dig In Baseball. Top tier analysis. The Orioles right now, they're still in the rebuilding process. And the best coaching advice. They know when they play one of my teams is it's going to be a battle. And it's all coming your way right after the beat drop. Welcome back, everybody, to episode two of the Bullish Baseball Podcast. We are recording this Saturday night. You guys will probably be seeing this maybe Sunday afternoon, maybe Monday morning. Uh, rough week for the Bullish Baseball program. There are some positives that we are going to get into. Coach Duffy, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Jack. You know, you're right. It was a tough couple of games. Again, with young teams, you're going to have some inconsistency, and there's definitely growing pains that happen when you're trying to rebuild a program, when you're trying to change a culture. And so we experienced some of that this week, but again, we'll learn from it. We have to, you know, it, it, um, if we don't, it's just going to be in vain. So some good things for us to kind of revisit for next week as we prepare for Landon. Yeah, I think that you know, I'm a positive guy. You're a positive guy. So yeah. let's go back and revisit some of the positives first. I think two things that really stuck out with me from this week was Mick Dwyer with another fantastic pitching performance. You could tell that he didn't have his A stuff, but he still battled. He's locating his fastball really well, racking up some strikeouts, and that really impressed me. Another thing was Corey Levin today didn't quite have his fastball which, you know, it's tough to pitch well when you don't have your fastball, but he had his curveball, and I've never seen his curveball like that. He used it early and counts a lot. He located it a lot on the inside corner, and the results didn't show, but I think it's a good building block. And then the final positive was Cooper Charcats. I mean, his situational hitting has been tremendous to start out the season. I think earlier in the game, you called a hit and run with Lance Hirsch on first. And he drove it into shallow left field. That was just, I mean, that was a great job by him. Yeah, that was an accidental hit and run. We had steel on and Cooper swung away, which was fine in that situation. He hit the ball hard. And I think there were two strikes to it. And it was a situation where we're just trying to get the runner moving, try to stay out of the double play in that situation. But you go, going back to Mick, I think you're absolutely right. He did not have his best stuff on Thursday, but he gutted through, he battled, he pitched into the fifth inning for us and he kept us in that ball game. And that's what you need from a guy who you're throwing out there to be your number one. You need him when he doesn't have his best stuff to gut it out. Corey, you know, we, we just have to get him a little bit more consistent with his release points. You know, I, I think, I think if his curveball was a little bit better today, I, I know you, it, it definitely broke sharper today, I think in the, than it had in the past, but we still need to be a little bit more consistent for a strike with it. And I think that allowed St. Stephen, St. Agnes to be able to sit back on his fastball a little bit, but, um, but you know, the sky's the limit with Corey for sure. It's just a matter of getting him more consistent with things like his release point. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd agree with all of that. I think that, you know, like you said, the sky's the limit for Corey. He's a guy that he throws the hardest out of anybody on the Bullets pitching staff right now. And I think 
the problem with with Bullish's pitching right now is they're just missing that one more guy that can really make it just ma- lighten the load for everybody. Because you know Mick Mick in the thir- first game on Thursday had to go into the fifth inning. You know he's laboring a little bit. If he just had one more guy, maybe Mick could have stopped in the fourth and we could have bridged the gap to Sam Moseman and still would have been fine for the weekend game. So I think the fact that Bullis does have some very quality pitchers that we're going to continue to build on in the next couple of years, but quality over quantity right now. Sure. But you also have to remember it's a very young pitching staff. We have freshmen throwing against high school seniors right now. So they're not going to have the swing and miss type stuff that you really need at the varsity level, but they're going to pitch to contact. They're going to throw to spots. They're going to try to mix it up. And when you look at a lot of their performances, especially Lance Hurst today, they're going to keep us in ball games. So while, yes, you're right, we could always use another arm. We could definitely use a dominant arm on the staff. But I think what you're going to find, especially with these freshmen, especially a kid like Sam Moseman, as they get older, as they get stronger, they're going to start to develop that swing and miss stuff. So in a couple of years, I'm, I'm hoping to have a whole stable of guys who have swing and miss stuff. Absolutely. And let's move on now a little bit to just general around the IAC. I thought this was pretty interesting. So Georgetown Prep took on Landon and they had th- they played, played three games this past week. And in the first game, Georgetown Prep won six to two. And w- when I saw that, you know, Landon, I was thinking, wow, I mean, that's a great job by Landon. That's the closest anyone has played Georgetown Prep all year. And then they played a doubleheader today and Landon or Georgetown Prep won nine nothing and then 17 to two. So I just want to ask you, coach, your mentality when you're facing a really good team like Georgetown Prep, you play them close, you know, six to two. It's a little bit of a moral victory. You're going into the weekend with some confidence. And in the first game, because they lost 17 to two in the first game. That must just it just must be such a weird headspace where you have confidence going into the game, you get your you get your doors blown off, and then you have to play them again right after. Like, what are you telling your team after that game? Well, it, I was actually in that spot with Landon just a couple of years ago. It was a situation where we went into a doubleheader with them with really only three quality arms to go that day. And one of them, one of them got hurt before game one. So we rolled out what we had and Landon, you know, they, they put it on us pretty good, but really all, all you do is you regroup and you just, you get everybody to try to flush what happened in that first game away. Easier said than done, obviously, but it's really important to know that when game two starts, it's a clean slate. Anything that happened in game one, whether it was good or bad, it doesn't matter anymore. So we actually, a couple of years ago, were able to turn the tables. So we went in, you know, we, I think we got run ruled game one, but then we came back and run ruled them in game two. A lot of that has to do with mental toughness. I had a veteran team that year. So I had guys who they've been through lots of battles with me before. They've had a lot of baseball experience and being able to get them to flush game one was pretty easy. 
if it's a younger team, it's going to be harder because I think there's going to be a little bit more emotion involved with it too, because obviously the older player will know how to keep his emotions a little bit more in check. Now this year's landing team, I'm going to be honest with you, Jack, you know, I still need to scout them a little bit more. I still need to go through a few more profiles to see what they have, but from what I do know about them, just by talking to other coaches in the area, is that they're a pretty good hitting team. They're a pretty quality team. They're a pretty deep team also. And I think really more of what you saw this weekend was just that Georgetown Prep, they're the top team in the state, clearly. And, and it's not even close, I think, in some ways. I mean, just they legitimately have 10 to 15 arms that can go out and beat anybody right now. And as a high school team, you know, you're lucky if you have four to five guys who can go out and beat anybody. So right now, you know, it's just, there's, there's a tier and, you know, it's, it's prep, you know, and then you, you go down a couple notches. So a lot of us in the conference, we, we need to try to catch up to Georgetown prep. And what I find so fascinating about Georgetown prep is they have so many kids on their team. They must have I don't know, 25 kids on their team, something like that. Might be more than, yeah. Yeah, probably more. And, you know, their hitting is good. You know, it's good, it's solid, but their pitching is just absolutely amazing. Like you said, Coach, they have so many arms. They can give you velocity. They can give you great off-speed stuff, everything in between. And it's just, it's sort of, you don't see that too often in high school baseball where you have that, amount of arms that can give you the amount of quality innings that they can. But bringing it back a little bit, Coach, to what you were talking about a little bit earlier, you said, you know, you had that veteran team at Avalon. Do you have any tips and tricks that you picked up over the years of just motivating your team? Sometimes it's not so much about motivating the team as a whole. It's finding ways to motivate individuals and right now trying to get to know the guys at Bulls a little bit better. And I know that'll be something, especially next year, I'll be able to do a lot better with them too. But right now, Jack, it is, it really is just such a young team. And I just want to try to get them a foundation because right now there isn't a foundation. You got to get them doing a lot of the little things better before you can really start to think about how are we going to motivate them to go, win this ball game right now. So having some confidence and falling back on the fundamentals has to happen first, because look, you can be motivated as heck to go out and try to win a game. But if you don't have that foundation, you're not going to have anything to back it up. So, so right now we're trying to build something at, at Bullis. We're, we're trying to build an attitude. We're, we're trying to take the things that are most important about being a winning team and getting guys to do that right now. And guys are trying to do it right now. It's just, we need more practice time, of course. Absolutely. And I think there's already been a little bit of a culture change, you know, obviously changing a culture takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. It's probably not even going to happen in one season, but so far, I think that, the improvements that have been made in the culture of Bullets baseball have been have been ones that I don't think anybody expected them to happen that quickly. But I think a lot of people are very pleasantly surprised with 
what's gone on so far in the bullish baseball season as just in the aspect of culture, but. Right. And yeah. I, I think one thing you also have to really take into account is it's been happening in the last month. You know, I got hired at in February and it took a long time to go through the HR process to be cleared, to be able to get onto the field, to play with you guys, because, you know, Bullis is very thorough with their backgrounds check. They it's, it's, it was to, uh, as it described to me is it's FBI deep. So, you know, they, they go through all the channels. So it took some time for, you know, before I was able to get onto the field with you guys, but to be able to do what we've done in, in the past month, as far as getting guys to be more positive, you know, to, to put in a little bit extra effort has been, has been great. Now, next year, being able to run a fall program, being able to, you know, to have meetings and, and strength and conditioning in the winter, it's just going to keep rolling. And, you know, and that's stuff where, you know, I wish I would have been able to do that this year because where we are right now after just a month, I mean, can you imagine if we were able to start this back in September? Oh yeah. We would be, we would be miles ahead from where we are right now. Of course. And I just think that the Bullets baseball program is in heading in such a positive direction and I'm super excited to see the future, but let's move on now to the coach's corner as Bullets baseball program is starting to turn the corner. We have a segment on our show that we like to call the coach's corner where coach Duffy talks about a specific aspect of the game of baseball and breaks it down in deep analysis. So today we are going to be talking about the point of contact where the barrel meets the ball and coach, what do you have for us today? What do you want to talk about with this specific topic? Well, the biggest thing is I want to encourage hitters, especially young hitters is, you know, figure out where your barrel is meeting the ball. I think too many guys, you know, they see the big league guys, they're, they're way back in the batter's box. And what's happening is your point of contact is actually happening over the plate. And that's just, it's too late. You, you really need that barrel to catch the ball out in front of the plate. Even if you're hitting the opposite field, you know, you're hitting, you're taking that outside pitch to the opposite field. You still want to, you want your barrel to catch that ball right on the front corner of the plate, or maybe even just slightly in front of it. So if you're, if your barrel is catching the ball to go opposite field after the ball's crossed home plate, you need to move up in the batter's box a lot more. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you're up in the box more and your barrel can catch the ball out in front of the plate, you're going to take away a lot of the nasty things that a baseball can do. Because I think when the baseball does get into the plate area, it can do some, it can do some crazy things. It, the, it can have a, a lot sharper bite on the curveball and the slider. You know, the, um, the changeup is falling off of a table and that part. And I think fastballs are a lot heavier once they start to cross the plate a little bit. So I'd like to encourage hitters to get up in the batter's box and let that barrel meet the ball out in front of the plate a little bit more. And that's something we're trying to do with a lot of our bullets hitters right now. It's, it's something that is going to be difficult. It's you've got to get out of your comfort zone. And one of the things we talk about with bullets baseball is, you know, if you truly want to be good, you have to get out of your comfort zone. And this is one of those things because and I'm sure you've experienced this as a player, Jack. I did too when I was a young player. Is, you know, you get to the to the batter's box and there's these holes in the box, right? And they're comfortable. And that's where everybody's been putting their feet, you know, 
throughout the whole game because again, everybody wants to get back in the box a little bit, but challenge yourself, really try to, you know, be mentally tough about this, get up in the zone and figure out where your barrel will meet the ball. Absolutely. And we talked about it in the first episode, you know, a coach Duffy run, run baseball team does whatever it takes to win. You know, they're going to do, they're going to put on bunts. They're going to do sacrifice bunts. They're going to do bunts for hits. They're going to bunt a lot. And I think that if you're back in the box, the entire game, and then all of a sudden, you know, a bunt gets called and you move up in the box, that's something that a good catcher might pick up on. But if you're up in the box, the entire game, you know, that, that doesn't only, only that doesn't only help, you know, you hitting the ball. It's also going to help you put down a bunt. Absolutely. In the last two games, we saw the the Saint Stephen Saint Agnes team doing just that. I mean, they they took something that we've been talking to the bowl sitters about for three weeks, and and they did it to a T. Everything they hit was a line drive. They're they're catching the ball out in front of the plate, and it just it put a lot of pressure on our defense. You know, I tip my cap to to those hitters over there, to that coaching staff too. Now they they're a young team too, but they're also a little bit older than us and a little bit more experienced than us. So, you know, our goal for next year is to be that type of team where we're going to be more aggressive, where we're getting up in the box a little bit more, and we're going to start stinging that ball back up the middle. Absolutely. And before we move on to the final topic of today's show do you have anything else you want to add on point of contact yeah so it's not just so much you know are you back in the box it's also are you too far away from the plate i think i see a lot of hitters when they go to the plate they touch that outside part of the plate with the end of their bat but they're also reaching for it too so that's got to tell you right away that if you get an outside fastball the best you can do is to hit it off the end of the bat. You can't reach that pitch. And then you get an umpire who's, you know, maybe they're calling an inch and a half to three inches off, off that part. You have no shot at hitting that pitch. So you want to make sure that your barrel can touch that outside fastball. And if you can't, then you got to get close to the plate. I find that so fascinating because that's something that baseball players are taught from a very young age, you know, from really coach pitch, you know, you know, when you get in the box, tap the outside corner of the plate with your bat and you even see college, college kids doing it. You know, it's something that's taught throughout many levels. And that's just so interesting that advice that is so common can be so wrong. And I just find that I, fascinating. I don't mean to interrupt you, Jack. So I, I, think a lot of times when you see them doing it at the college level and even the pro level they're not extending their arm out all the way right like they're still tapping that outside part of the plate but their arms are still going to be able to get the barrel out there their hands are going to be able to get the barrel out there to touch that outside part of the plate so it's it's not a big reach right it's 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 a tap but you can clearly see that if there's a pitch on that part of the plate their barrel's still going to get there yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that's probably true. It is now time for the interview part of the podcast. So we have a great interview scheduled up for you guys today with Tony Corson of Coa Sports. Very fascinating. I encourage you guys to listen. Without further ado, this is Tony Corson from Coa Sports. All right, thank you. Joining us today is Tony Corson with 
Coe was sports. Tony was a pitcher at Florida Gulf Coast, and he's been the head of COA since its inception. And he's also got this really cool project going on where COA Sports is putting a team in the Cal Ripken Collegiate League, and they're doing it in Olney. And there's a lot of buzz about it. There's a lot of excitement. And I can tell you, just from knowing Tony, I'm sure this is going to be a bang because just, you just seem to get everything going pretty well, don't you? Thanks, man. I mean, not everything. I fail a lot, but I've learned a lot from my failures. Uh, we're super excited about this Ripken team. I mean, I cannot believe it's been well over a decade since I played my last college game. It's, you know, it's actually been two decades since I played my last high school game. So it's been a long while since I was, you know, in, in the spikes and, and playing. So it's been cool to see the other side of it as well. Um, right. So, yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me and looking forward to chatting about all kinds of good stuff today. Awesome. So what, what got you started with, with getting a team, the Ripken? I know you guys were sponsoring the Thunderbolts for a while. And you've had a team in the Maryland Collegiate League, but but why this step to to do it on your own? You know, um, you know, we still do sponsor the Thunderbolts. We still want to help them. We still want to make them a great organization. Um, we always kind of wanted to do it on our own, but just never had the facility to do it. Mm-hmm. And only just seems like the perfect place. It's a great baseball town. The right. facility at OBGC is really nice. I mean, we're raising money right now, doing a golf tournament to try to improve the facilities. You know, phase one is scoreboard high netting between the gaps um, and dugouts. Uh, hopefully we can get pens in there too. And then, you know, phase two is going to be fencing grandstand press box and phase three is going to be lights. So we're really excited about it. Um, one of the caveats of Ripken is you need to have lights to be in, you know, voted in the league and they voted us in the league since we have lights in the long-term plan. So right. super excited. We know we can be competitive. Our general manager's got some great connections. Um, you know, I, I haven't even recruited a player in a few years, so he's been doing such a good job. I don't need to, to do it. So we know we can be competitive. And I think our goal is to kind of, you know, that elusive big train where they win the league almost every year, they lead the league in attendance, they do all that stuff. It's like, Hey, why don't we try to be like them? And we think we found a community that we have a chance to, and I'm actually moving to only uh, later in 2021. So super excited to bring my family there. And it just makes a lot of sense. Well, congratulations on, on the move and, and getting stuff in, in only only pirates have been a travel team that have always been top notch. You know, it's, it, you're right about that. It, it's uh it's a good baseball community. You have good counsel right down the road there also. So you're right. There's a lot of people playing ball there. So that is a community. And I think when, when the big train took it over, you know, the BCC baseball was a big part of it too. So you kind of tap into those communities. And I, I think you guys will be able to do it too through COA and then also getting with some of those other youth programs too. For, for sure. I mean, with, without host families, we have nothing. So, you know, I think right. we have a chance to find a great host family coordinator and, you know, part of, part of the experience, right? I have little kids, you have little kids is, you know, what's better than a nine or 10 year old boy bat boying for this team and getting to play catch with this host big brother. I mean, he probably thinks these guys are major leaguers. I know right. I played in Madison in the summer of 04 and, you know, the, it was so cool to watch the players interact with the fans and sign autographs and interact with the little brothers and, and make them feel like a part of the team and giving them like a t-shirt that was too small for us, for the kids that was, you know, 10 sizes too big for them. So I think 
getting the kids really excited is what it's all about. Hopefully the yeah. COVID, the vaccine and all that stuff will be, you know, kind of toast by 20, summer of 2022. And people will be happy to have really high level athletes in their house. And, you know, most of the guys want to be cool with the host families. Most of the kids aren't, you know, most of the athletes aren't, you know, so cocky that they, you know, can't give any little guys the time of the day. So that's the point of it to build community and have the little guys wanting to emulate and play on this team one day, right? Like we hope to have Sherwood and good council kids on the team every year. One, because it's good for the community too. They're going to be good players. I mean, they send division one guys every year and and three, it's like, Hey, I want to be this next guy playing on this great field and being, um, and top player. So I, I think the whole community aspect, it can be very circular and, and work. Yeah, fantastic. And you've got some exciting partners with you too. I, th I think so. Um, I think, you know, uh, Lone Oak Brewery is, you know, interested in maybe serving beers at the game, which would be a home run. We got to yeah. figure out how that works with the county, but that would be awesome. And, you know, we found some good community stakeholders that want to get involved. Chick-fil-A has been amazing. Uh, we found a realtor to sponsor our scoreboard. So we're, you know, we're looking to do this again. We're not looking to make tons of money doing this. We're looking right. at this for the community. We just don't want to be losing tons of money, you know, doing this and, you know, admission is going to be reasonable because, you know, a family of four or five, especially with little kids driving from here to Baltimore, driving from here to DC for a game is, it's cost prohibitive and it takes forever. Um, you know, yeah. it's going to be easy. And, you know, for, for me, I could take my kids there for three innings and, and go home if somebody has a meltdown or <laughs> there's no more ice cream or something. And, you know, same right, for you right. guys. So we're, we're excited. Yeah. For you guys who are listening at home, we're talking about high level college summer baseball guys coming from SEC schools, ACC schools, playing in the Cal Ripken league during the summer and, you know, you'll get to good, you'll get to see good baseball. It, you know, you don't have to go up to Baltimore or down to DC like Tony was talking about. So, so that's great. You know, Tony, you know, you're, you're a local guy. You played at Walt Whitman high school, uh, successful high school career, successful college career. What are some of the key things you did growing up in this area to, to help you improve as a player? I think winter development was huge. I think practicing really hard when other people, you know, I played basketball in the winter too, but I always made time for baseball and strength and throwing bullpens and stuff. So I think, you know, using that off season to really propel myself was really important for me. I think those were when I made my biggest jumps. Um, it was, you know, fall was okay. Spring was great. It was because of everything that I did from, you know, Thanksgiving until March 1st. So I think never stop developing is the most important thing. Train hard during the winter. And, and a couple of things that I wish I did better was training in season. I think every single year, my arm always kind of hurt a little bit after the third or fourth or fifth week of the season was because I stopped training. And I think, you know, with a lot of new research out there, lifting in season, working out in season is paramount to staying healthy and staying strong and not letting that below drop every, you know, couple of weeks. So one thing I wish I did better, but I think one thing I did really well was get locked in in the off season. That's great. You were you played multiple sports. What do you think about today with people really focusing on one sport and not playing two? You know, I, I think a lot of it is, is genetics, right? If you put LeBron James in a you know Cleveland Browns uniform and put him at tight end, he'd probably be pretty good right now. Um, he'd probably be a Pro Bowler within a year or two. But genetically, he's a freak. You know, for me under six feet, 185 pounds. I wasn't really that good of a high school basketball player. Like I was okay, but at some point, 
you know, the game got too big and too fast for me that without focusing on it exclusively, I, I could no longer really help a team. Right. So for me, I was good enough to play basketball until I was about 17 and then decided to, you know, be a one sport guy and guys that are 6'3", 200 pounds, it's much easier for them to be a two and three sport guy. Um, sure. You know, Urban Meyer says he only recruits guys that play at least two sports. Well, all the guys Urban Meyer recruits are big, strong and fast. So no kidding. Those guys can go play basketball and do well and go play track and field or go play baseball or, or lacrosse. So I think a lot of it has to do with genetic limitations. Um, of when you have to specialize. Now, when you're talking about 10 or 11 specializing, that is insane. Right. Um, you know, I think when I was growing up, the good players probably are almost as good as the good players now. I would say the good players are even better. Um, but I think the middle of the road guys have gotten so much better. Like Division Three baseball was eh, 15, 20 years ago. Now it's really, really good. So I think like the top half is just getting better and better and the weaker guys are getting worse and worse. And that's because these guys are specializing earlier. And again, I, I can't tell you what your genetics look like, um, but I think, you know, if you're specializing before the big diamond, you're insane and insane and insane. I talked to somebody the other day, they're spending about 30 grand this year just in travel, not on their travel baseball fees from Georgia to Florida to Vegas, to California to Texas. It's like, dude, your kid's 11. Um, <laughs> don't know if, don't know if you need, you need to do that again. Maybe, it, right. maybe it works. Maybe it works. I don't know. Um, but I think enough, we've seen enough research enough big time, like MLB players saying, Hey, I wasn't trying to win the 13 U 4th of July firecracker classic. I was trying to, um, develop and get better. And I think that's what people need to focus on. No, without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and there is value in playing multiple sports as a kid. You, you do different things with different muscles. Swimming, you're exercising muscles that you would never exercise in baseball and such. And, and it, just the footwork in basketball can carry over to baseball as well. So yeah, at those younger ages, I think it's so important to continue playing multiple sports and such. And like you said, you know, you, you got to a point where you knew, you know, you could only, and it was age 17 where, you know, you couldn't really help in another sport, you know, it was really, it was more about one sport at that point. And I think that's where a lot of kids go wrong these days. They, they make that decision or the parents make the decision for them around, you know, 10, 11 years old. So. Yep. You're, you're exactly right. And, I, you know, I, I played travel soccer before I played travel baseball. I realized I could only play one travel sport when I was younger. And, you know, I think baseball was just, again, genetically better for me. I was left-handed. Mm -hmm. I could throw it a little bit, like plenty of people I can kick both feet in soccer. So I wasn't really <laughs> anything special. So, right. uh, and, it, and it turns out, it, it's funny. I, I looked at the all met section from when I was a senior in high school and that travel soccer team where I was definitely a bottom third player. We had like 10 all Mets, including oh the Maryland Gatorade state player of the year. So pretty, I didn't feel so bad that I wasn't great on that team because that team was, was really special. Um, and that Gatorade state player of the year actually went to my elementary, middle school and high school, and I couldn't beat him at anything. So I really don't feel so bad that he uh, beat me because he was, he was a special athlete. <laughs> Yeah, the team sounds loaded. Wow. Okay. So what's going on with COA sports these days? Outdoor heavy. Uh, outdoor sports are back. Um, we have pods going on. We have our Babel House Baseball League, which is a select program. We do 10, 12U, and 15U. Our travel teams are all over the place. We were in tournaments last weekend, getting ready for summer ball. Camps are record numbers. I feel like this is a summer for parents to 
um, send their kids to camp and go on vacation. I think that's what we're going to see this summer. The missed vacations are coming and, hey, I've seen a lot of my kids time to go to camp and, and be social. So things are going really well for us outside. Um, and we're, we're happy that people are participating in our programs because at this time last year, I was a little bit nervous that uh, we would not make it. And, you know, things are going great. So we're, we're very happy and, and fortunate that we're running good outdoor programs and the families are, are trusting us. Okay. Where can people go to get information on your camps and such for the summer? Yeah, then go to our website, www.colasports.org. We offer sports-specific camps in baseball, basketball, field hockey, flag football, and we also offer general multi-sport camp in Rockville and Olney. So we got a lot, a lot of camps going on. I mean, we'll have easily a thousand campers this summer between all of our locations, and super excited about it. Started start as young as four. My oldest is four, so he'll be going to camp this summer. All right. Okay. So. Thank you so much, Tony. Um, thanks for sharing some information on, on the only. I'm so excited for this only Ripken team because, you know, being somebody who's coached guys who've gotten to go in and play in that league, you know, being able to go see some games in Rockville and Bethesda and such, I, I can't wait to get down to only to watch some of these games too. And just knowing what you guys have done with the COA team in, in the Maryland Collegiate League, I, I know this is going to be a home run. I know this is going to be a hit for you guys. So Seth, thank you so much for coming in and, and talking about that today. You're welcome, Coach. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. So, Coach, it's been a crazy week in sports, you know. Sure. This is going to be your call. Whatever you want to talk about, whatever comes to your mind, what do you want to talk about? Well, I want to tip my cap to the Washington football team. I love the first round. Oh, round. boy. Here we go. <laughs> I know you're a Giants fan. But uh, but I, I got to tell you, Ron Rivera is somebody who I, as a coach, I, I, I look up to, you know, talk about jumping into an organization that was in desperate need of a culture change. You know, watching the Washington football team over the last 20 years is, as a fan has been pretty frustrating. But to see what he's done in just in just a season as the head coach over there is very encouraging. And the, and the player they took, they took out of Kentucky. And he, he fits, he fits what he wants in a player. He's athletic, he's strong, but he's also disciplined. He's going to put in the extra work. He's a guy who actually didn't start for two, his first two years at, at Kentucky, got his opportunity this year and boy, did he take off. And then just athletically, he's, he's kind of a freak. He's got a 42 inch vertical. He's a, he's 234 pounds. He runs like a four, three. I mean, look with the defensive line they already have right now. I mean, this guy could easily lead the NFL in tackles next year as a rookie. I mean, wouldn't it be surprised if he's adding to that stellar Washington football team defense coach, obviously the Washington football team is not going to stick with that name forever. Do you have any suggestions if you had to come up with the next name for the Washington football team, what would it be? I would actually keep Washington football team, believe it or not. I understand the need to have to change the name right now. Absolutely. I don't want to lose the history though, because growing up as a fan of the team in the eighties, I got to watch them win Super Bowls. and, you know, Joe Gibbs, so many winning teams, so many un. <laughs> so many guys who became heroes who you never would have thought would have been heroes. So, you know, I think a lot of times when you do change a name, you, you also, you're changing the history. So again, I understand the need to change the name right now. So let's not throw away the history. 
I, I, I like how they kept the colors last year. I wish they'd put the stripe back on the top of the helmet, though. I'll be very honest about that. I, I was really disappointed to see that taken off the helmet. But um, but I, I would stick I would stick with the with the Washington football team. Just um, you know, I, again, I understand why you got to change the name, but I you know I don't want a complete reboot of of the history. I just find it so funny that when you look in when you look at the schedule, it'll say like it'll say like Green Bay Packers at football team. Yeah, I just uh, I find that funny. I yeah, I understand it. it, it it's somewhat of a, a running joke right now, and and it, it also doesn't really roll off the tongue very well. Washington. No, no. Um, Al Goldie is a is a podcast I, I love to listen to. I loved him when he was on nine eighty, and I think he hits it right in the head. You really want your your team name to be like one, maybe two syllables. It's got to roll off the tongue a little bit. But um, but in in this case for me and. And Jack, I'm I'm such a homer, you know. I'm um, I'm Orioles, Nationals, Washington Football Team, Capitals, um, you know, you know, Washington Wizards. But for me, it just growing up, I, I just so many fantastic memories through the '80s and into the early '90s. And I, I would just it'd be painful to see if that got thrown away. And transitioning back a little bit to the actual draft pick. Jamon Davis. I think that, you know, the Washington football team's defense is really good at rushing the passer. You know, obviously led by Chase Young. They can get to the quarterback. And this is a guy that, yes, he can do that, but he can also excel in zone coverage. And I think that just adds a little bit more versatility to this defense. I hope so. He, he From everything I've heard, he didn't play a – against the past a lot when he was at Kentucky, but he seems to have all the tools. He did have quite a few interceptions also. I think he took one to the house for like at like 85, 86 yards. So he's got the athleticism. He, he certainly does. He'll be coached up. Ron Rivera was, was a good NFL linebacker on one of the most heralded defenses of all time, you know, those, those 85 Bears. Jack Del Rio, defensive coordinator, was a very good linebacker himself. And then you look at the new front office, Martin Mayhew and, um, and Herney, they both have a great track record of drafting linebackers as well at their different stops. So I have a lot of trust in those guys too. So it, I just, I, you know, to use a baseball term, I think it's a home run pick. And home run pick. Also, I, that's, that's fantastic. You heard it here first, folks. Home run pick for Riverboat Ron Rivera. Mm-hmm. And we'll end it here, Coach. I'm just going to give you a couple of just hot-button, quick-fire questions about the NFL draft. You know, don't don't think about it too much. I just want your immediate answer, okay? okay. I might say pass to several of these, but go ahead, Jack. Okay. What are your expectations for Zach Wilson? Boy, he um, went to the Jets, so that's it's, – it's, it's... – New York City's tough. You know, he's coming over from the other side of the country. Utah's a – a little bit quieter state. So it's really going to depend on can he handle the bright lights. It's it's not an easy place to win in New York. And you being a New York fan yourself, I think you know that quite a bit. Yeah. But, um, you know, hopefully the new coaching staff takes care of him. Hopefully he's taken care of a lot better than Sam Darnold was. And he's actually able, given a chance to develop. So, you know, it's, I think, I think because he went to the Jets, it, it's, it's tough to really have a lot of confidence right now. So 
he seems he seems talented. He seems like he can make all the throws. Hopefully, he's given an opportunity to truly develop. I'd agree with that, but I think this is just a little bit of a different regime for the Jets. I think Joe Douglas, you know, hasn't really gotten that opportunity yet as general manager. You know, he's only had one draft and then this year, so this is his second draft. So, you know, you bring in Robert Sala, who everybody has high expectations for, thinks is going to be a great head coach. And I really think that, you know, they're starting already to put weapons around him. They trade up, you know, get that left guard, already have Makai Becton at left tackle, solidifying the left side of that O-line, draft a quarter or a wide receiver early in that second round. So they're already starting to put weapons around him. So next question here, Coach. Who do you think is going to have the better NFL career, Justin Fields or Trey Lance? Man, this is this is a big – This is <laughs> you, really, you really got me on that one. I got to think Trey Lance has got a ton of pressure on him right now. You know – San Francisco gave up a lot to get that pick as a Washington football fan. I've seen this play out. So I hope it goes better for Trey Lance. Um, I think he's got a better head on his shoulder than, than Robert Griffin did. So there's that Kyle Shanahan has a great system. So if he can pick that system up quick, he should be fine. He should be able to take off. Now, Justin field, that's Chicago is a tough place to throw the ball. And you know, it, they, they really need to run the ball more. They need to run the ball. They need to protect him more. If, if they can also have fields running himself, I think that'll help with his success. It'll probably open up some more guys downfield for him in the passing game. But for him to have success in Chicago, it's the organization's going to make a commitment to the run. And I know that sounds weird because NFL is a passing league right now and, and whatnot, but you know, it, it's, it's not called the windy city for nothing. And it's, it's, it is, it's, it's a tough place to throw the ball. And I think what you've seen through the last several years, especially teams have tried to throw the ball a lot and they're not getting a lot of success with it. So if they can commit to the run, protect Justin Fields in that regard, I think it'll open up some more stuff for him down the field, but Right now, I'd have to think that Trey Lance is in a much better situation. He's in a much better organization to succeed right now. Definitely. And me personally, I'm rooting very much against the Chicago Bears for two big reasons. One, being able to make fun of Bears fans, which is <laughs> okay. awesome. And then also, you know, the Giants having the Bears first round draft pick for next year. But we're going to end it here, Coach, with one last question. Yeah. Mac Jones falling to the New England Patriots, what, over under six Super Bowls? <laughs> I'll, I'll take the under because, you know, who knows how much longer Belichick will, will, will be coaching. But, you know, how can the league let Belichick get his man? You know, I, I mean, he, he outright said he wanted Mac Jones. And the league let Belichick get his man. So, yeah, you know, he it sounds like he's one of these – quarterbacks with a, a high processor you know he he can go through reads very quick he, he can pick things up very quick much like Tom Brady it, it sounds like he could be getting a 2.0 Tom Brady here um yeah I'll, I'll go with the under on on six Super Bowls because let, let's be honest Jack I don't really know how much longer Belichick's going to coach and to be able to get to do what Tom Brady has done is it's, it's unreal. I don't think it'll ever be repeated. 
Yeah, and obviously I was being a little bit facetious there, but, you know, that'll wrap things up for the Bullets Baseball Podcast. Got some nice football talk in. Right. Got some nice baseball talking, got some good analysis in. So, like I always say, this show is just a box of chocolates. Never know what you're going to get. Coach, any last words? Yeah, um, excited for our middle school team. They've got a, another game added to their schedule this week. And I've been able to work with the middle school for, for the last month also. And I, I love the talent we have down there. And you know, if we can keep these guys and, and, and have them stay at Bolus along with some of the guys that we're hoping to bring in down the road too, I, I think we're going to have a team that can really challenge in the IAC. You know, the seventh grade class right now, especially, is very strong. You've got some some really strong arms. You've got some guys who can thump the ball. You've got guys who can play solid defense. You know, we're we're going to add a couple eighth graders from that team next year. Guys who I think, you know, I think in a couple of years will be starters. They'll they'll be contributing. And then you know, we we've, we've got some sixth graders on that middle school team right now too, who I'm excited about to see, just to see them grow and get stronger over the next couple of years. So shout out to our middle school, wishing them the best of the luck in their game. Unfortunately, I, I won't be able to, to travel with them to their game um, because our, and this is probably the first announcement we'll have on this is that our, our game with Landon on Saturday is actually going to get moved to Friday. Um, I guess uh, it's been tough for them to find an umpire. So. So would that be, that would be an away game still? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And who actually, so obviously you're helping out with the middle school team, but who kind of, who kind of runs the middle school program outside of you? Well, it's my job as, as the varsity baseball coach to oversee the middle school baseball program, but we've got a fantastic middle school head coach, Pete Smith. He's a guy who played college ball at John Hopkins. He also coached at John Hopkins for a while, did some, did some uh, travel ball also coached a couple of guys who are, who are in the big leagues right now. He's, I mean, he was a left-handed pitcher. He, I, I would love to have him on the, on the varsity staff right now, but he just, you know, he, he has other things he does after school, but you know, he and I, you know, we, we definitely get along quite well. I'm happy that he's, he's our head coach for the middle school team. And then Danielle Wilcox, she's the middle school athletic director. She puts together the schedule. She coordinates a bunch of stuff for us. She's been outstanding. In my short time at Bullis, she, she's just been absolutely fantastic from, from what I've seen. Absolutely. Big things ahead for Bullis baseball at all different levels. So that'll do it for Episode number two of the Bullish Baseball Podcast. Mm-hmm.